The summer before my freshman year of high school, my youth group took us to this wilderness adventure type camp in the backwoods of Nowheresville. The Friday night, which also happened to be my birthday, they split up the boys and girls for the obligatory purity talk. The boys got to stay in the main hall, watch a 15-minute video, and then go make s'mores. The girls had to walk 10 minutes to this musty basement classroom and listen for three freaking hours to this camp counselor talk about how holding hands is bad. Holding hands leads to sex. And if you can't control yourself and you just need to hold hands, do pancake, not waffle. The worst part was that when we finally got out of there, the boys had eaten all the s'mores. Worst birthday ever. Damn, I'm glad I Hey everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. We have met. My name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. What's up? This topic is, uh, this is probably my favorite topic. This might be why God put me on this earth in ministry, <laughs> uh, at least one of the main reasons. I think any anyone listening to this that was in a youth group that I uh, led or volunteered with me, they, they know. They just know what's coming up, and they probably have either a lot of epic good stories or uh, times where they're like, Eric, you can't say that. <laughs> and what you all don't realize is like we write out an outline or I write out an outline every single week for these episodes. Wow. And okay. most of the time, Eric will come in and put his notes and his thoughts in so that he knows where he's going. Uh-huh. We got together today and I opened the notes and there wasn't anything there from Eric. I was like, Eric, is this a no note week for you? He goes, yeah, I'm just going to talk. So it's already, but it's already it goes a five page rail. outline though. You're, I mean, we've got five <laughs> pages worth of outline. So who knows if it goes off the rail, it'll just be a typical Eric going off the rail episode, which is totally that's, fine. That's when the good stuff happens. That's a high. It's me. I'm the problem, right? That's a Taylor Swift <laughs> thing. That's, that's where we just know. Hey, before we get in the topic, as a quick reminder, we are on YouTube this season. You can head to youtube.com slash at unlearning youth group. Or click the link down in the description in the podcast episode if you want to watch. Subscribe over there and make sure you leave us a comment if you're watching. Now, for today's episode, we are talking about the difference between sexual purity and purity culture. And just like Eric, last week, Eric, you brought resources. Oh, what yeah. you got for us this week? So I've seen there's a, there's a couple of like TikTok creators that I follow and I respect, and they always get like they always get uh backlash from the more conservative side of like, Oh, you were never a conservative evangelical. You never, you know, you were never in that circle. And then they like bring the receipts. Well, if you want to know that I knew about, you know, purity culture and, <laughs> and, the, and kind of how it went, like for the YouTube audience, you could probably see this. I would not recommend reading these books by the way, necessarily, but uh sheet music, this was like the uh, Christian uh, married porn book. This is the Kama Sutra for Christian couples. Um, <laughs> But also tells your wife you need they need to be like subservient to you and all that other kind of stuff. And then the uh, love and respect, which is you know the typical. Uh, we did the love and respect conference at the church I worked at. Exactly. I got a couple others over here for uh, for men only, for women only. But yeah, so we we did a lot of these like pre marriage counseling book resources things. So I got the receipts that that I'm I was deep into this. Uh, before we get too far into today, let me set it up. 
Last year in season three, we joked that because it's February, as a podcast about youth group, we were contractually obligated to talk about sex, dating, and relationships. And turns out it was the most listened to month of the podcast we've ever had. So that's not because of us necessarily, but more so because so many of you have so much to unlearn from the purity culture teachings that we grew up around. Anytime I talk about purity culture on TikTok, I always get the same response. It's usually from some older white dude saying like, well, should we just taught them to do whatever and whoever we want, they wanted and let them wear whatever they want. And I'm like, no, Richard, that's not what this, what we should have done. But it does bring up a quality question. What is the difference between sexual purity and purity culture? How could or how should we have taught sexual purity differently? Yeah. And I think before we hop into that, I want to go back to what you were talking about with the, uh, you know, old, older white male response. This is, I want to make sure that I'm making room for the people here that want, that have an immediate, like defensive response and reaction because it either comes from older white males or it becomes from the hard school, a hardcore homeschool crowd, um, or the, you know, the same group of people that doesn't, doesn't think that you should let your kids dress up for Halloween and go trick or treating all that sort of thing. But for the well-meaning people that are, that are getting defensive here, it's very similar to if you were to bring up something and you may not understand this either, because maybe this doesn't happen in your household, but if you were to bring something up around your parents about how, Hey, when we grew up, this thing happened and man, that negatively affected me. And that made me have to like, really think about, yeah, it's like, well, I was doing the best that I could. Well, what did you want me to do? Well, and it's like, as a parent now, I understand where that comes from because if my kids were 10 and 11, um, well, when they inevitably say, dad, when you did this, it caused me to do these things. And now I'm like, I'm trying to unlearn that myself as an adult. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm immediately going to get defensive because I'm like, oh my gosh. But at the same time, what I want my kids to know is like, because I didn't mean to mess up. Yeah. I didn't didn't mean mean to do that harmful thing. I didn't mean to do that. So for most people that are well-meaning, it's like, I get it. But what you don't do is you don't you don't go all the way to the other side of the uh, of the argument, which is exactly what you're talking about with uh, with our, our Richards and Karens in the audience that are like, what should we have done? Just let them have sex whenever they wanted and let them wear whatever they wanted in the house. Like, this is not a dichotomy. There is not it's not black or white of like a, either you are puritanical in your approach or Correct. you just, you know, want to raise a, a kid with absolutely no morals that. There is nuance in the middle. Do not allow your sense of self-preservation to drift into that spot as you're listening to us or watching this short clip on TikTok that are probably going to fill our comments with garbage. And we, we say a bunch of times on this show, or at least I have, there's an old Bob Goff idea that came from, I think it was Love Does, where he talks about how when he has a client that goes into a deposition, he always tells them to sit with their palms up on the table because when your palms are up you're ready to receive when your fists are clenched you're ready to fight back so unless you are driving right now take (laughs) the posture of palms up because we want you to receive what we're talking about so that you can learn from it more so than fight back yep and and that could explain too like feel where your shoulders are right now i know some stupid but like when i get defensive on things i notice that my shoulders are up and tense and even my my jaw gets clenched and my eyebrows get furrowed like whatever you need to do if you need to take a deep breath you need to lower those shoulders a bit you need to kind of stretch out and go okay all right 
let's let's look at this. Let's approach this from an open and receiving posture before we start to throw in all the all the defensiveness because we are going to talk about why it was good to um, try and keep people you know, try and keep your kids to God's sexual ethic. We are going to talk about that, but we also need to talk yeah. about the damage that, that does as well. Yeah, we're not trying to just crap on it or like degrade it or take it too far. Like we might make a joke or two because that's what we do. Right. But we're not like we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. So, Eric, as we go into what we got right, which we we said was teaching biblical sexual ethics or sexual purity, whatever you call it. Yep. Uh, before we talk too much about what the good intention of that, I think we need to define what that term means, what sexual purity is. And I lurked. I looked a lot of places online for a quality definition of sexual purity. And mm -hmm. there were some really cringy definitions out there that I'm like, no, I can't, I can't use that one. I can't use that one. But yeah. one definition I found came from an organization called Braveheart. And I know yep. nothing about this organization. I don't know if they're good, if they're bad, what they are. So this is not an endorsement of the organization. I just, I appreciated this definition of sexual purity. They said sexual purity is the active choice to refrain from sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage. It is having faith that we are worthy of more than short-term pleasures and that there's something better planned for our lives. Mm. Is that how you would define sexual purity? What better definition do you have? You're really great at defining things. Uh, well, I don't really have, I don't know. I think, I think if I were to take a step back and I know that we're talking to a mostly Christian or Christian aware audience, I think what I love to do is, is approach topics from the Bible from an angle of like, can you prove it or can you prove that it's good without using scripture or without that basis? And I think that that has a lot that's that is, you know, that's solid. And I would say that agrees with scripture. But in general, it's like there is a certain way to set up your life and relationships for success, for long term marriage, for long term, you know, committed relationships. And that includes um, making healthy choices with your body, with your physical interaction with others. And so, you know, that, that would just be a way that like, if I was to explain this to somebody that had no concept of the Bible or biblical, biblical sexual ethic, I would say, Hey, there's a way to make your marriage successful. If you're interested in having a long-term committed relationship, like a marriage. And part of that is setting yourself up before marriage to make sure you're making wise decisions physically with your body. That's going to lead to a healthy um, baggage free or as, as little baggage uh, marriage and mm -hmm. relationship as possible. And then if we take that idea and do go into scripture and we do go into youth group, the thing that we were taught that I think was a good thing was God designed sex mm -hmm. because of the things that happen when you have sex, both physically and emotionally. God put rules around sex to protect us and sex outside of those rules can be dangerous and lead to things, things that are harmful that Jesus never meant for you to experience. That's the baggage that you're talking about. Yeah. So those three things, teaching students that teaching our kids that our own kids, I think those three things are great things to teach. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, and we could, we could probably split hairs on this and you and I might approach this from kind of a, uh, just slightly outside of the middle facing into each other here is whether you say God put rules around sex or like God has given us best practices. If we just want to be happy and thrive, you know what I mean? So like 
even if you don't want best if, practices, yeah, same, if, the idea is the same. Yeah. If you want to, and the, I'm just, I'm just speaking to the, the people that have been uh, very poorly affected by this purity culture, the idea of a rule and regulation might lead you to feel like, Oh man, that's going to add shame. That's going to add regret. That's going to have whatever. Whereas like, ah, fine, then let's, let's put rules aside. I know our fundamentalists are going, no, we can't, but I'm saying, let's just call them best practices from yeah, my standpoint. My wife would respond so much better to best practices. She's the perfectionist. She's the Enneagram one. Mm -hmm. If she, if she can't follow the rules, then there's right. shame and there's guilt there. So I do yep. like the idea of best practices. So we're kind of skipping ahead to the, what do we do? Where do we go from here? So just put that in your, <laughs> right. in your yeah, back yeah, pocket yeah. for like, that's one of the things that we go from here, but ultimately teaching God's design for sex and the mm -hmm. guardrails he put around it, the best practices he put around it. Yep. That's a good thing. And it's and like so many of the things we talk about on this show, the good behind it was people were trying to protect us. Yep. Ultimately, at the end of the day, they were trying to protect us from things they had experienced or yep. things that they knew would lead us to bad experiences. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, well-meaning again, from a well-meaning spot. And I understand that the, there would be pushback to this from um, especially people who are deep into the, I don't even want to call it deconstruction anymore because I think like, uh, and this is probably a topic for another day, but like if you are not in a deconstruction to reconstruct, I think you're in a different camp than what yeah. I would consider myself in. So the deconstruction pathway to uh, reject full out rejection of of the Bible and the, the deconversion process at that Decon point. Yeah, deconversion, I guess I would say, is I've seen that, that side that is anti-purity culture that wants to be much more sex positive and wants to be much more on the side of like, Hey, you should try it before you buy it. You know, all the things that we would actually speak yeah. against when we were talking purity culture, um, you know, and, and that sort of aspect of it and saying, Hey, it's a good thing to, uh, to be educated. And I think like, okay, I think even in that, the good thing behind. And by educated, the, you mean experienced, correct? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think that there is a, a different way to say, okay, I'm prepared. I'm better prepared for physical intimacy with my spouse than maybe what the uh, uh, purity culture side would have would have led me to and not cringy in a way that like this book, the sheet music side of like, oh, well, we're going to we're going to make it we're going to make it spicy, but in a, like a patriarchal way, you know, like, no, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think there's a, there's a, there's a different path for that too. So I just want to make sure I'm listening for anybody who's in that deconversion deconstruction side uh, that would push back against our good thing. Um, let's agree that there, there is a, there, there are protections that need to be enforced or that there are protections that should be suggested for uh, children for young adults for single people that will set them up for success if a long-term relationship is what they're seeking if you're not seeking a long-term relationship or marriage this isn't a discussion for you anyway and if you're not a christian yeah if you're not trying to follow yep. biblical teaching this ain't gonna make sense it's not right. what your beliefs are and i may disagree with your beliefs but i can respect you enough to say you know what okay this sure. like i one of my favorite TV shows is the West wing. Mm -hmm. And in that there's in one of the seasons, spoiler alert for a 20 year old TV show. <laughs> uh, one of the guys gets his ex wife pregnant and he doesn't tell the president for a few weeks. And the president's like, why did it take you so long? 
Mm-hmm. And the guy said, well, your Catholicism intimidated me. Yeah. And the president then says to him, he goes, well, that works for me. Right. That doesn't mean it works for me because the guy who's telling him is Jewish. He's like, so then the president's like, so blessings and shalom to you. Right. And so if you are listening to this and you don't, you're just checking it out for the heck of it. Like if you're not trying to follow a biblical sexual ethic, none of this is going to make sense. If you have gone from purity culture to do whatever you want, honestly, we may not be the right show for you. And I get people in my TikTok comments all the time that, that are pushing things against Christianity, but yet they still follow me. And right. I'm like, guys, my whole point is to, is to teach you and to help you find a way to follow the real Jesus. Yeah. So that, that's our goal with this. And before we get to that, we do have to talk about what was bad about purity culture because teaching mm-hmm. sexual purity turned into purity culture. Yep. And Eric, you helped me to find this this week. Another friend of mine named Evan helped me to find this as well. But the definition of purity culture that we came up with is it's a Christian subculture that attempted to highlight the concept of biblical sexual purity and instead overemphasized a strict interpretation of modesty, abstinence, and gender roles that often led to sexual shame, sexual dysfunction, and uneven rules for men and women. Mm-hmm. You added a lot to that that definition when I sent it over to you earlier this week. So expound on that just a little bit. Yeah. So first of all, if you're listening and you're going, well, that's not how I would define purity culture. Well, great. Then that's not what we're talking about. So I think in any discussion or debate, it's important to define terms. This is what we're talking about. So if you're coming out and defending the side of like, well, so you don't want to teach, um, you know, biblical sexual purity. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about the attempt to teach biblical sexual purity that ended up going to a spot where we overemphasized strict interpretation of mod- modesty, abstinence, and gender roles um, that leads to this thing. Like we're talking about, there's there's fear around sex. There's shame around sex. There's dysfunction around sex. There's fear and shame around your whole, your, your body. There's fear and shame around interacting with others um, to that point. So it is the overemphasis that led to the problem. This is a great, you know, great thing that uh, that I've talked about too on my in my business side about like what is toxicity? The toxicity is only in the dose. The individual thing is not toxic. It is how much you of it you have. So like too much water, drinking too much water can be toxic for your body and kill you. Mm-hmm. So yes, if you can take anything, and if it's too much, if the dose is too high, it is going to be toxic. And so this is more of the toxic dose of trying to highlight and teach these biblical best practices for your interactions with the, uh, with members of the opposite sex or with any, anyone when it comes to sexual purity. And there were some teachings that were just wrong Mm -hmm. or were taken too far Mm -hmm. or were taken out of context. And I want to give three examples today. We could, we could spend an entire season on bad examples of purity culture. We could do an episode on all of these. So we're going to, we're going to rush through these a little bit to respect your time. But the first one is the idea of do not cause another to stumble. That comes straight out of Romans 14, 13, where it says decide never to put a stumbling block block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And purity culture took that idea and turned it into a thing that put the full blame on young girls and what they wore. Mm -hmm. It said that it was a teenage girl's job 
to make sure she's covered up so her brother wouldn't stumble. And at no point were boys taught to not wear certain things because it would make girls stumble. It was, it was solely about the intention and the responsibility was on the young girls. I, I emphasize young girls because we're talking yep. 11 to 17-year-old girls 13. here. Yep. Boys were taught to bounce their eyes, to not look at a girl for too long instead of transforming their mind. So this idea, uh, this biblical idea of don't become a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother was completely sexualized and applied only to what girls wore. Yeah. Yeah. The responsibility was fully on women um, and what they wore. And, you know, like you said, there was a, uh, an idea that you and what you could do is what causes someone else's sin. And so that, uh, blowing up to the one of the most extreme cases of this is the what was she wearing response to was she asking any, for it? Yeah, was she asking for it? What was she wearing response to any sort of sexual assault? So if you have seen uh, someone respond to sexual assault or any sort of like catcalling or, you know, any level of sexual harassment um, and the response from men or women is, well, what was she wearing? What was she doing? What did she say? What was her role in that? Instead of, no, sexual assault and sexual harassment is 100% the responsibility of the harasser and the assaulter. And that like anything that it's, it's unbiblical to, to teach anything other than that. I find it highly ironic that the people who taught this the most are also the Venn diagram of people who taught purity culture and the people who say we should take personal responsibility for our actions yes. is a circle. Yep. And yet they would say that it's someone else's fault for making me stumble yep. or making me do something sexual that I didn't want to do as yep. opposed to saying, you know what? No, I need to gouge my freaking eye out mm -hmm. instead of making her put a sweater on. Yeah. And so read Romans 14, 13 again for yourself and see if anywhere Paul says to the Roman church, don't do anything that's going to cause your brother to stumble all the way to put his hand on a woman's B parts. Like it doesn't say that, Oh, he's going to stumble to the point where his pants fall down. It doesn't say that. It does not say that there is nothing in there that says, don't do anything that's going to cause someone else to assault you sexually it does not say that. And that leads us to the next example, which is modesty. Because I, that, that's the natural pushback to us. Well, aren't we called to be modest? Aren't we called mm -hmm. to do this or that? Mm -hmm. And purity culture took a concept of modesty from the New Testament, specifically 1 Timothy 2.9, where it says, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. And we sexualize that out of context. Yes. This verse from Paul was talking about economic modesty as much as it was sexual modesty. Take note that, that that verse includes, quote, not with gold or pearls or costly attire. Mm. And that's because if you look at the context of this letter to Timothy, the verse is about when we gather to worship. Women are not supposed to dress in a way that draws attention to themselves. In the culture of the time, churches met in houses to have a house large enough to host people in. You had to have money. It's a very similar concept to small groups in today's church that we could get into a whole different topic of are small groups economically healthy for churches or are they 
really just highlighting people who have more money, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But anyways, Paul was instructing women not to wear certain clothes because it would make others with less money feel like they didn't fit in or that they were less than when they came to worship Jesus. He wanted church, the gathering of people to worship Jesus, to be accessible to everyone and not just those with money. Yes. Yeah. And I think, so we've talked about this a lot. This is a, a refrain of mine, especially is like every piece of scripture that you read has to be negotiated in some point. At some point you have said, I accept this definition in, uh, in opposition to other potential definitions or applications, right? So in this spot, and you talk about, is it de descriptive or prescriptive in some cases? Was Timothy mm -hmm. talking specifically to a group, you know, Oh, I mean, was Paul talking to Timothy in regards to a specific group that he was leading because of a specific issue that they had? You know what? There are a number of different ways that you can, with integrity, read this passage. So to choose to read modesty as in sexual purity and modesty. Or only say, sexual or primarily oh yeah, only. sexual purity. Yep. Yep. Or to carry it to the spot that you are proof texting and using the Bible to justify your feeling as opposed to actually opening and accepting what it could be in some of these areas. So, yeah, I, I mean, that when I read that, I do not read something that says, hey, don't wear something that's going to, you know, hey, thou shalt not wear short sleeve shirts or spaghetti straps because uh, women need to dress modestly is not what it says. So with with that side of it, there's the economic piece, but it does mention there is a type of clothing that is appropriate. We can't negotiate that piece away. Some translations say with decency and good sense. Some say decent and appropriate clothing, modestly and discreetly, modesty and self-control. But here's the thing, Eric. It never defines what good sense, decent, and apparent, appropriate clothing is. Yep. And because it does not define that, purity culture, often taught by older men from a different time period, put in a roadblock instead of a guardrail and told young girls that any type of clothing that showed any type of skin was not appropriate, decent, or modest. Yep. And what that led to was a girl with long legs was inappropriately shamed as being immodest because her shorts didn't cover up as much as her legs as a shorter girl. Or a tall girl was shamed because her stomach would show when she reached her arms in the air or a girl who developed a larger chest at a younger age was labeled as inappropriate. If she wore any type of top that didn't go all the way to her neck, as if it was her fault that God had given her this body. Mm -hmm. So there's all this shame. I'm not saying she needs to go out and purposefully show every little bit of it, but the idea of decent and appropriate clothing is very culturally contextual and can change from one place to another. Yeah, I saw something on uh, on TikTok. I mean, it was, I don't know, maybe last year or something, um, but it was an Australian and she was talking about how she was just really confused about American church culture when it comes to purity culture. Because she's like, here where I live in Australia, like the idea that you would wear uh, constrict, like it's hot. It is. It's we actually use, we use that at, at the front of one of our purity culture episodes, that audio. Yeah, it's, it's surface of the sun hot. And so like they would have church Short, on the shorts beach. and spaghetti straps. Yeah. They would have normal. church on the beach in bikinis, you know, with a wrap around or you know, around the waist or something like that. But it's like, 
that's just what what it was culturally. And so I think that there is a bit of that cultural difference in what modesty and decency is. Because yes, it says what it says, you know, modest, decent, properly. But again, those are inter those are uh, those are translations of other languages to put into English. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's what it says. But the definition of what modest, appropriate, decent is is saying would look different for for a Christian operating in maybe a uh, Muslim centric country like Iran versus mm -hmm. or Iran versus a Christian that's operating in uh, you know somewhere in Australia. And even so, I have a friend who is dating a guy from Greece mm -hmm. and she has told, she's a Christian. She has told me that when she is in Greece around the water, it is a totally different experience than when she is in America on the beach at the same time that in Greece, it is far less sexualized than it is here in America. And so what people wear in that context that would be considered appropriate or uh, decent is different than the beach I go to in South Carolina is nicknamed the family beach. So there's a difference in what is decent and appropriate on the family beach mm -hmm. versus a European beach. And we can't, we can't take these ideas and put a roadblock in all of those situations and say that, you know what, I, I have a friend who was sent home from an independent fundamentalist Baptist private school growing up because too much of her shoulder was showing. Mm -hmm. Her sleeves were not long enough. It wasn't a tank top. There was just too much of the upper arm. Is that a shoulder think, cap shirt, like one of those things, right? Yeah. And it, like her polo didn't have long enough sleeves. And that's the type of purity culture stuff we're talking about. You're saying that is inappropriate. It leads to us sexualizing things. Meanwhile, sexualizing things on girls. Meanwhile, guys are showing up to youth group events in cutoff shirts that showed their arms and their chest. They're going shirtless at water events. And they're giving no consideration whatsoever as to what modest could mean in what they wore. And the men who led the events were fairly okay with that. Yeah. And I think that, so the question that I would ask on modesty or the do not cause another to stumble is go back to what we said was good about it is if why we are putting these things in place is because we want to give best practices for, uh, for people who want to try and have successful marriages and long-term relationships, I would ask like, where is this, where, where is this helping to get to that point? Because the modesty thing usually leads into the do not cause them to stumble. But more importantly, most of the reaction that I see, you know, and again, this is anecdotal and this is, you know, subjective, but it's like, well, it's because, you know, you, I don't want you to like, we don't, don't make our, our pastors stumble. Don't make the old men stumble. It's like, whoa. So this had nothing to do or, you know, your, your true, your true reaction has Gouge very little your to do. eyes out. Right. But it doesn't even have it. Like, are those old men looking to try and marry? these 13 and 14 year old girls? No, no. So you've just exposed the real reason behind some of these things. Cause if you gave pushback and you said, Hey, uh, that little cap sleeve that you have here, what's the problem with that? Is that, uh, is she wearing that around, um, 
a, a, a someone that she wants to be in a relationship with. Well, no, it's just she's walking around the beach and who knows who. Can, OK, great. So are those the people that are going to be in a relationship with her? Well, no, but they might you know, like, OK, so you're actually more worried about the you're actually more worried about the responsibility of older men, not necessarily what that person is wearing. You're, you're or even other teenage guys. Yeah. Because the thing that we're taught is that guys are visual as if mm-hmm. women aren't visual as well, which is a totally sure. like, I can't even get that logic. Women are just as visual true. as men are. But let's follow that logic. <laughs> let's follow that logic. Let's just assume that's true. Let's just assume, even though I'm, I'm stating, I do not believe that's true whatsoever. Yeah. Let's just assume that's true. The other thing that we don't enforce modestly is you, and you know, cause you went to a Bible college, you know, it's like guy can go, Hey, Jesus told me, you know, I was in my prayer time my, my, and God just told me that you're the woman that I'm going to marry. And so there is this immodesty in our emotional attraction and our emotional manipulation of women from men to women. And we don't put, we don't stop that. We don't say, Hey, boys, you know, we say girls, uh, girls, you got to wear, you know, wear something that's going to go up to your neck and don't tempt boys. We don't say, Hey boys, do not tell a girl that you believe that God has called you two to be together. Do not tell her, do not lead her on. Do not lead her on emotionally. And some of you are going, yeah, we tell them that. Guess what? You're not enforcing it the same way as you're enforcing a spaghetti strap or shorts that are, you know, more than two inches above the knee. So that there is, there is that piece of like, I do not believe you. If you are saying, no, we're doing the modesty thing because we really care about their future success in a long-term relationship. I don't believe you. I believe you're trying to control women's bodies, or I believe you're trying to take the responsibility away from men and their own thoughts and actions. So I'm at Eric W seven, one, two on all <laughs> social media at me, at me, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. If you're watching this on TikTok, stitch this and tell me I'm wrong. The, there is a tension and we have to acknowledge that. <laughs> We we have to acknowledge the tension, and you just sent you just showed one end of that. That when we go too far, yep, that's how it gets out of whack. Mm-hmm. And the last example I want to show is the idea of purity. We took this idea of keeping the marriage bed pure, which comes from Hebrews thirteen four, and we said that if you made any type of sexual mistake, you were no longer pure. If you wore the low cut t-shirt. If you had any cleavage, if you were a 14 year old girl, if your shorts were too short because you have long legs, you were no longer pure, even if you didn't actually commit some type of sexual act. And we mentioned this in our very first season, but one myth that purity culture led to is what's called the damaged goods myth. This comes from Dr. Camden Morgante, who is a licensed psychologist and a former college professor She writes, the primary message of purity culture is clear. You won't be whole, clean, and pure if you have premarital sex. You have to present a tarnished and ruined self on your wedding day. You won't have your whole heart to give away to your future spouse. You will be forced to present him or her with whatever's left of you. You are damaged goods and should be ashamed. Mm. And some of you might be pushing back. Well, that's not what we told people. That's not what we said. But if you look at the analogies that we used, that one drop of food coloring in a glass of water mm-hmm. or a rose that gets passed around, 
mm. or tape that goes from shirt to shirt to shirt and collects dust. All of these ideas and examples lock, that we use. A lock that will accept any key. Oh, my God. You ever hear that, one? that one? Yeah, there's like <laughs> a... Uh, but actually, that's a little bit more sex, or, uh, sec- secular. Sorry for the uh, Freudian slip there. That's a little bit more secular on the sexual talk of like, uh, oh, a lock that will accept any key is a crappy lock. And it's like, <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Thanks, dude. Gotcha. Hey, go keep go keep listening to your Andrew Tate and talking about all that kind of stuff. You suck. <laughs> I am at Eric W seven one two on all social media. Now you see, like I guarantee, again, if, if you were if you were a student or if you were a leader in one of my uh, youth group years, it, this is par for the course. As soon as February came around, they were like, "Hi, yeah, hide your boyfriend, hide your girlfriend," because because Eric about to here, come in hot. Here, here comes Eric. But the message that these, I'm trying to pull us back here. <laughs> <laughs> the message that was sent from these analogies was that if you make any type of mistake, you're no longer pure and you are forever tainted. Yes. And that leads to shame and guilt yep. and all the things that are not of Jesus. Exactly. On both sides. I mean, we talk about it a lot for women. And again, uh, uh, Jonathan and I both being uh, in our 30s, white dudes. Um, this is kind of like outside of our lane, but just to represent, it has talked a lot about where it's like, oh, you know, specifically for women. Yes, we have heard story after story after story. And probably every single one of you listening, you can pull the women in your life and say, hey, was this, uh, did you, uh, did you start to feel shamed on your, your body or shamed about you when you would see these things? And you're, you're probably going to run into somebody that says, yes, definitely. It's affecting me today. The other thing that we're seeing that's coming out of this as well is it sets up, um, like we talked about in our in our actual definition of what purity culture did, sexual shame, sexual dysfunction, which we've talked about previous episodes about in marriage. Like all of a sudden the light switch is supposed to flip on. You're supposed to yep. freak like rabbits. Like it doesn't work like that for everybody. That's called and the then, flip switch myth. And then uneven rules for men and women. So then on that aspect, what it does is it sets up Christian lifestyle, even with, with our, our Christian Kama Sutra porn books back here, that's, that give you this, this uh, subliminal message that sex is not for the woman's pleasure. Sex should not be pleasurable for women. Sex is only pleasurable for men, and it's supposed to happen in marriage. Oh, and by the way, men are supposed to want the sex, and women are supposed to give up that part of them or serve their husband in that way. Not withhold. Not even withhold. if your husband is a jackass and sorry, I'm not supposed to cuss on here. Even if your husband is a jerk and treats you terribly mm-hmm. or doesn't serve you or makes you yep. do everything with the kids and all this stuff, you're still not supposed to withhold sex from him. Even if the idea of him not fulfilling his biblical husband duties of serving you to make you feel loved and welcome and safe, which then will make you want to have sex and not withhold sex. If yeah. you don't withhold it, even though he's a um, word, then you're you, the female are going against scripture. Mm-hmm. So, so you see there there's these, this uneven expectation yeah. and uh, now I'm getting on soapboxes. I'm sorry. We're, we're there's this uneven expectation and an uneven responsibility and expectation between men and women when it comes to the idea of sexual purity and what purity culture turned into. Yep. 
And I don't want to use a buzzword because it's going to turn some of you off, but it's the truth. It's a very patriarchal idea and a very misogynistic idea that has become normalized because enough old white men could point to the scriptures and say, this is what the scripture says in an American context while taking it out of the actual context the Bible was written in. And what did I just say? I think I blacked out. <laughs> That's good. That was good. That was good. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And this might need to go in our last rant, but I think the other thing that needs to be said <laughs> is, you know, cause you're we have saying, a whole other section to go. You're supposed to not withhold from your husband. Um, and I would add to, in all the things that Jonathan already said about, like, even if he's this, this, and this, it's like, even if he's not really concerned about your pleasure and yeah. that's something that you're seeing now. Um, and that's why I love TikTok is because you get to hear real unfiltered stories from people that don't have to go through, um, you know, the hierarchical system of the church. You're hearing people say like, Hey, you know what? The bottom line is like, um, I, I was taught that I had to give it up. I was taught that I had to mm -hmm. not withhold and that my body was a repository of his sexual pure uh, pleasure, not, and it was to produce children as opposed to we should have honest conversations with each other on when we want it, when we don't want it, what we want, what we like, what we don't like, and, and other things like that, that are, that are positive for both sides instead of just being about one side or the other. And where I know that this is, this is especially dangerous. This happens in the secular world too. But anytime you see on TikTok, Instagram reels, social media, where, where there's a woman that is posting about um, uh, a buzzword now is, is uh, weaponized incompetence. You know, she's posting about her, her husband or she's posting about you don't have to have sex or anything else when it comes to this or that. But the response in the comments is always, well, he'll get it from his secretary. He'll get it from the neighbor. He'll get it from your best friend. He'll get it from, he'll get it from, he'll get it from, he'll get it from. Even from people with Christian in their bio will say that because we have continued to fuel this misogynistic patriarchal idea that women's bodies exist for men's sexual pleasure, which is so anti. And that is why we have to put these roadblocks up instead, because yes. if women's bodies exist for men's sexual pleasure, and we're not supposed to explore those bodies except within the confines of marriage, then your arms are going to make me think something I'm not supposed to think. Right. That's the, that's the way the logic goes. Mm -hmm. And I've got to cut you off from, from more rants and I've got to pull us back, <laughs> which is really hard to do on these episodes because I want to rant too. Yep. But where do we go from here? How do we take the good and use it to move us forward? And I'm going to suggest a changing of phrases because I don't love the idea of the word purity in this context. The definition of purity is freedom from contamination or freedom from immorality, especially of a sexual nature. Hmm. So sexual purity implies that if we make a mistake, we are contaminated and by definition can no longer be pure. Yeah. And I want to reframe that moving forward as we need to teach biblical sexual integrity. Yeah. Integrity means the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles a moral uprightness. If we can teach biblical sexual integrity, we can do that while acknowledging we are all sinners who have fallen short of perfection. None of us are pure. None of us will ever be pure. 
we will never reach the level of perfection that Jesus laid out for us. And we have natural biological temptations. Those things are unfortunately going to win out at times. That can be true while we still try to follow a biblical sexual ethic of being honest and having strong moral biblical principles. So I want to reframe this as biblical sexual integrity instead of sexual purity. Yes. And I think that the integrity part of that needs to be relative to individuals as well at a certain point, because let's go back to our conversation in a previous episode about alcohol, right? Um, And if there is an alcoholic beverage sitting in front of me, for me, there is not like if you, uh, not you, but if someone else with us orders a drink, I don't feel tempted or triggered or anything else to order a drink. I can order a water and be fine. No big deal. So for me to have uh, integrity when it comes to alcohol consumption, that's going to be a different level than someone else who maybe what they are struggling to the point that they see that, you know, martini glass, and even me describing it might trigger you listening. So I'm sorry, but that martini glass with the stuff in it and the frou-frou and the umbrella and the whatever, and they go, oh, I've got to have one. Oh, I see it. I've got to have one. That integrity for you is going to be different than that integrity for me. But what we've done is we've painted a broad brush that says, no, we can't show, you know, we, we cannot, we can't visually tempt anybody with any level because everybody, every man is on the edge of, you know, they're on the edge of going to fall off the, the sexual impurity. A stinky belly button may be tempting to you, sure, but it's not tempting to me. And because it's tempting to you does not mean that we put a blanket statement on all females moving forward from here to eternity. No, you work on reframing and restoring your mind through the work of the Holy Spirit instead of making everyone else do the hard work for you. So it's a personal on someone else. I, I, I think even sexual integrity, personal sexual integrity. What does that look like for you? for the season that you're in, for the temptations that you have, for the whatever, because those are going to be different. Um, That level of integrity is going to be different in different areas. It's going to be different when you're single than it will be if you're dating someone, than it will be if you're in a committed dating relationship, than it will be if you're engaged, and then it will be if you're married, because you Mm -hmm. still need to maintain sexual integrity while you're married or in a committed relationship that's going to look different than sexual integrity when you're, you know, maybe after you just got dumped, that level of sexual mm-hmm. integrity, like for me, when I got out of a relationship, that's where I needed a, I needed a different set of healthy guard, uh, guardrails mm-hmm. than if I was, you know, in a, in a relationship, that sort of thing. Yep. And to save us some time, if you want, go back to, to season three, we did an entire episode on how we over-sexualize things in the church. So go back and listen to that one. I think that one's a really great episode if you want to learn more about this. But if we if we take this idea of sexual integrity, we can teach that and the whys and the hows and the for what God created sex, which I believe is between one man and one woman within the confines of marriage. I know some of you don't believe that. I get it. If you want to know why I believe that, despite we did a whole episode on championing for rights of same sex couples last season, feel free to reach out. I'm at Jonathan underscore Carone 
on all the platforms. I'll tell you my story of where I got to my beliefs. But even if you are same-sex affirming, I think most of us can agree that the Bible's fairly clear that sex is designed to occur within a consenting marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to get into this argument or discussion about same-sex um affirmation on this episode, but regardless of your belief there, I think the the point we can all agree on is that the Bible says sex is, desert, is designed to occur within a consenting marriage relationship. And mm-hmm. so because of that, we can't just teach people not to do stuff. We, <laughs> we don't just teach the what. We also yeah. have to teach the why and the how of not doing stuff. Why should you deny what your body wants? What's, what's the basis for that? We live in a society where it's, hey, go get what you want. It's there for the taking. Go get it. So students and our kids are no longer going to accept because I said so. Mm-hmm. When we teach sexual integrity, we should also be teaching the science and the biology behind it. Because they're also not going to accept because the Bible says so either. Correct. Correct. And we should be smart enough and educated enough to realize the why the Bible says it. Mm -hmm. If we believe God is all the things we say he is, then it can't just be the Bible says so. There has to be a reason that God created it that way. And we owe it to ourselves and those that we're leading, whether it's parenting or in a student ministry to know the why behind why God created something. Mm -hmm. So the why in this case is that there are biological hormones and chemicals that are released when we are sexually active that literally reconfigure our brain and cause us to view people and situations differently. So it's not just about taking away the fun of sex. It's not just about denying that pleasure. It's about protecting you from something you likely aren't ready to deal with. And we talk about the good behind that led to purity culture was a protection mechanism. We still owe it to those people in our care who aren't ready to deal with this yet to protect them in the ways that we can, but we need to do it ethically and more honest to scripture than it was done to us. And to draw the line that you don't do go too far. Cause I would, I can already hear the people saying, yeah, I know like you imprint on somebody else. That's why I use the post-it note analogy or the sticky tape analogy or something else like that, because I'm showing students that the more that you stick and then it's not going to stick anymore. And that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. And it's like, okay, great. But think about what that analogy and what that line of reasoning does to you on the other side is your, your, the analogy breaks down and causes shame as opposed to coming at it with, from a, a standpoint for all these things that we're talking about and saying, Hey, there are natural consequences to every action that you do good or bad natural consequences. There are natural consequences to drinking too much alcohol. We just talked about it. There are natural consequences to drinking too much alcohol and getting behind the wheel of a car. And there are natural consequences to uh, physical intimacy with other people, period. There are natural consequences to that. And for everybody, that's going to look different. And depending on your level of physical intimacy, that's going to look different. But we want to make sure that you're educated on those natural consequences and what that could lead. There's natural. Here, this is my temptation. My biggest temptation, the Amazon app on my phone. Oh my God. <laughs> click add to cart, buy now. Click add to cart, buy now shows up in two days. You don't even have to and do add to cart. You can just click buy now. Click buy now. And it'll be yeah. at your house in a day. But that's the key is like, if I don't realize 
that there are natural consequences to clicking buy now too many times, which, you know, I'm going to have to say no to other things and money and all that kind of stuff. But nobody's going to go on and go, Eric, oh, man, your bank account is like this uh, is like the sticky note <laughs> or the scotch tape. And the more that you stick it to different aspects of your Amazon purchases, I know. Oh, you just think it's just a one-time thing. I'm just going to buy this once. And then it becomes a subscribe and save. And then it becomes, you know, it's like, then it's all the recommended things. It doesn't, that analogy doesn't do the same amount of shame as talking about somebody's actual body. So, you know, yes, you could talk about why it's important, but let's make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing, and don't inadvertently cover something else that we don't want to. Now the I blacked out. What was that. I saying? <laughs> the next step from that, if we're going to teach them the why and the natural consequences, is we have to acknowledge that our current culture does not match up with our biological nature. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean by that. In biblical times and throughout most of history, girls were married shortly after puberty. There's scripture to back that idea up. This likely happened somewhere between the ages of 14 and 16 years old. And men or boys were married around the ages of 18 to 20. So in the Bible at the time, the, the, what this audience was of who was getting this, when your hormones are raging, that's when people got married. Mm -hmm. Having to deny yourself sexually was something that only lasted a couple years. And I mean, there's a piece of this we can get into the food that we eat with the, with the things that are in those foods are causing our bodies to go through puberty even earlier than they did in biblical times as well. We're seeing both boys and girls hit puberty at a much younger age than they did throughout recorded history. So contrast that idea. Puberty is starting earlier. Hormones are starting earlier, but we are getting married later. I am not advocating for 14-year-old girls to get married by any means, but if you look at American culture today, the average age of a woman getting married is 28 years old. So 14, 12 to 14 years after what it was in biblical times, and the age of the average man is 30, so about 10 to 12 years as well. We are asking people to deny their biologically normal sexual desires for an extra 12 to 14 years on average. That's not easy, guys. Mm -hmm. That's a lot more room to fail. When you have 14 freaking years to deny yourself, you got a whole lot more opportunities to make a mistake than you did if you're only denying yourself for two. Yep. So even if we take it even further, depending on the study you read, only three to eight percent of Americans are virgins by the time they get married. That that doesn't even take into account anything that happens that isn't just vaginal intercourse. Because mm -hmm. you grew up in a youth group, I grew up in youth group. We negotiate all sorts of things. Whether does this count or does that count? What hole counts? What hole doesn't count? What action counts? What doesn't count? And so, three to eight percent <laughs> didn't have vaginal intercourse. But if we're talking purely biblical sexual immorality, I don't know very many people who didn't have that. Yeah. So we have to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, I think the other aspect, too, of going through uh, what our culture looks like is honestly, um, this probably was probably what we should have put in the in the good or the bad section. 
But in reality, a lot of what we see as purity culture now has come from the reaction of our parents and our parents' parents to them living through the sexual revolution of the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. And so there was a, a knee-jerk reaction, maybe portrait. We swung the pendulum too far. Right, yeah, the, to, to the, the sexual revolution. Or, um, and in reality, the studies that you see is that, uh, especially teenagers, are having less sex um, on every level than they were even 10, 20 years ago. So one study cites in 2009, 79% of those ages 14 to 17 were not having sex. By 2018, that number actually increased 10%. So to 89% of, of teenagers not having sex. So people, as you can see, marriage rates are going down. People are not getting married and people are not having sex. You could see other things about adults that aren't having sex as much too. And it doesn't matter whether it is doesn't matter your sexual orientation. You could be hetero. You could be, you know, I identify as non any of that. And it's like, this is not happening to the level that, that everybody wants to claim it is. It's not the boogeyman we think it is. Correct. And there's this idea that when you shame something so much, people can be more apt to do it. Yeah. And so I think as the reaction to purity culture has happened, as there has been more actual sex education, which purity culture only taught abstinence, as there have been more people having open and honest conversations about the why and the what around sex, secularly and religiously, kids are becoming more educated and they're able to make an educated decision. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that in the numbers going down in terms of who, how many people are having sex. So what we're talking about isn't just about shame. It's not just about helping people have a better view of sex. It actually does lead to more people following biblical sexual integrity. Mm-hmm. If we teach them the truth and the actual things as opposed to putting roadblocks up, that's why we need guardrails and not roadblocks. And the last point I've got, because we're at an hour already and we got to get out of here, we have got to point people to Jesus and talk about grace. Sexual sexual purity in the way that it was taught to us was a pass-fail grade. If you took a class in college that was pass-fail, you know that you either passed it or you failed it. There wasn't A, B, C, D. There was pass or there was fail. And what we were taught was if you make a mistake, it's a fail grade. You're a failure you're no longer pure. Sexual integrity does not say that. Sexual integrity says, you know what? You have a sin nature. You're fighting against your biology. You're fighting against your natural feelings. You're Mm going to mess up. But you know what? Jesus is making all things new. He knew you couldn't live up to the standard set before you. His death and resurrection was precisely because he knew that. He wants to restore any bit of imperfection or contamination back to the perfect form he created. And to pull off the road for just a second, I know there are female listeners who are listening to this, who have experienced this. If someone took away your quote unquote purity in a way you didn't consent to, Jesus is making that new as well. Mm -hmm. So we've joked a lot today. We've said some off color things. We've done the things that we do, but I want you to hear that if your quote unquote purity was taken in a way that you did not consent to, 
There is no shame in that. And Jesus is making that new as well. There is grace for your mistakes. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that you can run out and do whatever and whoever you want because you know that Jesus will forgive you. That's not what grace means. But when you make a mistake, because you're going to make a mistake, because you have biological hormones and because you have natural desires living in a fallen world, there's grace. And nothing will separate you from Jesus, even going too far with your boyfriend or girlfriend or having a one-night stand after you get divorced because you're seeking validation in places that you shouldn't be. There is grace for that. There is forgiveness for that. And Jesus will make all things new. And I, I do want to point out, in case it was not clear on what Jonathan just said, uh, if someone took your purity away in a way that you did not consent to, that was not your mistake. I need to let you know. Correct. That. Yes. So just in case we glossed over that and you started to think that, that it there, uh, if you feel that your purity was taken, that does not necessarily make it your mistake. And either way, Jesus makes that all new. And I, and I 100% back all of those things up. And I love that idea of integrity where it is, Hey, there, there's going to be a better way for you moving forward. And when you talk about integrity, you can always choose that path going forward. You don't have to worry as much about feeling like it was a complete fail. So if we can stand up and say, you know what? Uh, maybe I would do some, some different things in my past. Um, it, maybe I'm not really ashamed of a couple of things in my past, but I understand that there's something new that I want to walk with integrity in this season of life, given my personal season, mode, whatever. Jesus is there for that as well. Yep. So remember, integrity is being honest and having strong moral principles and a moral uprightness. And when we talk about biblical integrity, that moral uprightness is rooted in the scripture, knowing what Jesus came to do, who he is, and the grace, restoration, and newness that comes in him. We know you're going to have questions. We know you're going to have thoughts. We know you're going to have comments. We want to hear them all. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment down below and let us know. If you want to reach out on social, Eric is at EricW712. I am at Jonathan underscore Corona on all the major platforms. Next week, we're going to be talking about another purity culture related topic. And that's the idea of the Billy Graham rule that says that men and women shouldn't be alone in a room together and that men and women, especially married men and women, cannot be friends. It's essentially a part two to an episode we did last February. So if you want to check, if you want to catch up and hear that one, go listen to season three, episode five. Can boys and girls just be friends? You can find that wherever you get podcasts or here on YouTube as well. For now, rate us and review us wherever you get podcasts. Um, share this with a friend if it helped you, if you found it interesting. If you have feedback, you can send it to us at un hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Uh, get your merch at unlearningyouthgroup.com. If you survive Purity Culture too, you can get you an I Survive Purity Culture shirt there and send in your funny or awkward youth group story there as well. As always, thanks for making us a part of your day and your week, and we'll talk to you again next week.
school.